0: Welcome to the SoCal Hymns Podcast. I am Sarah Richardson, and today we are featuring a conversation with Sajid Ahmed on how artificial intelligence will revolutionize healthcare. Sajid Ahmed is CEO of WISE Healthcare, an innovation, artificial intelligence, and workflow design company. WISE Healthcare delivers artificial intelligence strategy and workflow engineering to healthcare organizations looking to improve healthcare delivery. WISE is launching an AI-based mobile healthcare tool that will help accurately diagnose many conditions and provide convenient access to care. Formerly, Mr. Ahmed led the effort to start a new state-of-the-art hospital in South Los Angeles. As the Chief Information and Innovation Officer of Martin Luther King Jr. Hospital, Sajid led the Startup Hospital's more than $70 million health information technology initiative, launching an innovation hub on the 42-acre MLK Medical Center campus. He still serves as an advisor to the hospital's CEO. A UCLA graduate, Mr. Ahmed is also a highly respected expert on innovation and frequently lectures about entrepreneurism, innovation and information technology in healthcare environments. In 2016, the Los Angeles Bureau Journal lauded Sajid as CIO, CTO of the Year across all industries in the greater Los Angeles area. Good morning, Sajid. Thank you for being here with us this morning.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So AI has just taken off, Uh, it's kind of the buzzword in the industry today, and we hear so much about it, but really the the applicability in healthcare is where we know the future is headed. What can you tell us about what we're about to experience?
1: Well, I think this is probably one of the most exciting periods uh, in our history when it comes to healthcare and improving healthcare and providing access to healthcare. So many technologies have come to contribute to that from computers, which led to electronic health records, uh, which led to a numerous health information technology advances allowing uh, doctors and nurses and hospital staff to provide really highly accurate care faster and more efficiently. But what's been missing is um, uh, help and support in the decision-making Uh, of providing that care and automating some of that care. So as an example, the things that people may have already heard about where artificial intelligence is making great strides is in imaging, radiology. You can have machines that have been taught through algorithms to read these radiological images um, and pick out precancerous tumors from these images faster and more accurately than any human eye could pick it up. And that's that already exists now, and that's being implemented everywhere. So the transformation there is you're getting faster, more accurate diagnosis, saving on unnecessary tests and x-rays uh, uh, and follow-on exams, uh, but the transformation is also going to impact healthcare from the From the professional side, what do the radiologists do? And they're already beginning to see the the advantage of the technology, but also how they need to shift. So you've got radiologists that are becoming interventional radiologists, that are becoming computational radiologists, that are going in to support these tools. And that's been happening over the last few years, but uh, the tools and technologies that AI is going to impact in healthcare is just broad and deep. And over the next five years, I think you're going to see a massive transformation of not only how care is provided with the implementation of these AI tools, both at, both at the front end, inside the doctor's office, uh, inside the hospital, in the back office for billing and and uh, care coordination and connectivity, but also right in the hands of uh, the consumer like you and I, the, the patient like you and I and our family, where We're so used to our phones, uh, we're going to use AI agents, healthcare AI agents to talk to before we even talk to a real doctor. I think that's where the future is going.
0: So it's interesting because you hear about the art and the science of medicine, and that's really what practitioners and clinicians pride themselves on is the ability to get in there and, and find those diagnoses. How do clinicians bring AI into their workflow without it feeling like it's bringing some level of obsolescence to them?
1: Excellent question. Um, In fact, personally, I had to deal with this um, challenge where we introduced this technology over 15 years ago, myself personally, the last time. uh, We implemented it in the military, which was more accepting and and looking for advantages. But the challenge was, I would always hear clinicians and and even uh, nurses say, well, what's going to happen to us if you have these really smart tools? Uh, and, And they really... We very cautious and pushed back. they challenged the accuracy they challenge the the legality the liability, but at the end of the day, what we uh, learned and how to communicate the use of this tool is that you no know, at the at, AI is a tool, and like any other tool, it's how you use it so for the clinicians, it's about increasing their accuracy it's about getting faster treatments to their patients so uh, physicians in a primary care setting can use it to diagnose their patients faster, quicker, more accurately, get better diagnosis, get faster approvals in a managed care, in an in insurance environment. And I think even nurses can use this to support their decision making. So AI, like how you use your Google Maps and you talk to Google and say, hey, I want to I, I wanna go from point A to point B. Uh, it will find that fastest route, and that's what AI is. It's going to find that faster route to that diagnosis. So I think it's a it's a decision support tool uh, at minimum, but I think it can be even more. Uh, it can be a partner with the physician. So the physician at the end of the the day, and the nurses and other healthcare providers don't need to fear obsolescence. Uh, I think just like when the computer was first introduced, and people thought, oh. What I do manually, you know, is, is going to affect, affect me and I might not have a job. And I still see that today as we implement electronic health records and other electronic health IT systems, uh, there's always this fear of, well, what happens to my job? So I think for AI, there's a lot more comfort level nowadays with, with all of our mobile tools and Alexa's and Cortana's and hey Googles, all of those being more ubiquitous that I think there's a general acceptance from the consumer side that, hey, doctors should use the best available tool. So I think those physicians that jump on board early, that incorporate this into their practice, will actually benefit from providing uh, care through an AI-based support.
0: AI isn't new, and yet it seems like we hear about it more and more. I think about things like in uh, 2001 there was HAL, and of course, we had Watson on Jeopardy, et cetera, and that's really where uh, most consumers are, are familiar with AI. And so, can you tell us a little bit about the history of how long it's been available and, and why it's taken perhaps so long to be more mainstream or welcome in the healthcare industry?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first, let me let me provide break your question up into two parts and provide. Uh, kind of two answers. One, you mentioned uh, S- uh, *Space Odyssey* two thousand one, uh, Stanley Kubrick's film, I believe. And uh, now, mind you, that film was made in the late nineteen sixties, and uh, very futuristic and artificial intelligent uh, um, a system that um, was there to support the uh, the team going out to Jupiter, if I recall. Um, AI has had a bad rap, but it's been around since probably the beginning of the 40s and 50s when uh, computers were first um, invented. It became an academic study. When you had real computers, the idea was, could you create programs and algorithms that could do automated jobs? Basically, uh, program it in an artificially intelligent way so that it can perform these tasks, tasks that uh, could be performed much faster. So, the the concepts of AI have been around for a very long time. In fact, that's why it entered into the Hollywood uh, kind of uh, imagination with the movie 2001. Unfortunately, AI has been given a bad rap from Hollywood. You know, if you think of Terminator and you think of other movies where there's this kind of uh, Hollywood played on this inherent fear of, oh, there's this artificial robotic um, nemesis that we as humans have to overcome, but I think what you 're looking at more and more, and even Hollywood has kind of changed that there are more more protagonists that are artificial intelligence based so fast forward to the current, uh, uh, the current environment where we look at all these tools, uh, but they had a history, and the history is um, in artificial intelligence. When it was first developed as a purely academic study, because the computational power wasn't there, one of the first applications that it was considered for was medicine. Uh, e-myosin, pub were these tools developed early on using uh, the early computational powers in the 19, uh, late 1960s, early 1970s, to actually do... Um, early predictive diagnosis. So the concepts have been around for a while. I'm personally a big fan of Lofty Sadai. Z- he created Fuzzy Logic, which is a, an AI-based approach. And Fuzzy Logic, you don't hear about it anymore, but in the 80s and 90s, Um, it really gained a popularity. And in fact, rice cookers and many of the technologies that Japan makes are based in fuzzy logic. They use fuzzy logic chips. Uh, But now you're looking at great advances in uh, uh, computational power through these advanced chips. Uh, NVIDIA, which is a graphics uh, processor uh, producer, is now branching out and creating these graphic processors that are AI-based. That will be put into cars. You've got Apple creating an AI chip. Um, and you now have, I think the other thing that's transformed over the last, just in the last five to ten years, is that you have server farms throughout the world, everywhere. All these server farms and data centers are basically taking uh, data in real time and processing it in real time. So when you pick up your phone or you talk to your Google or or Amazon home agent like Alexa. Uh, When you speak to it, that signal is being sent to farms, data farms all over the world, being processed in instantaneous real time so that when you speak to Alexa, she automatically and instantly understands you and understands not only what you said, but the context of what you said and, and can respond right away. So. Fast forward from 30 years ago where it was mostly a concept, mostly driven by algorithms and, and decision trees and, and other approaches. But now you have this amazing computational power that's accessible from your phone. So I think if you, I think the imagination just takes off from there. If you're using your your agent at home or your phone to order groceries, to order what you need and have it delivered to your home the next day, why can't we... Have healthcare like that, where we have an acute condition or a rash or whatever, we take a picture of it, we send it to our medical agent, and that medical agent immediately says, I think I know what this is, and automatically creates that appointment for you with your primary care or sends you uh, to instructions to go to your urgent care. I think that's the level of transformation that's going to occur with. Um, with Amazon and uh, uh, J.P. Morgan and Berkshire Hathaway announcing their foray into uh, health insurance for their employees, and I can bet you, I think it's it's a given, and everyone's talked about it. They will leverage technology and Alexa and AI all the way to see how they can provide that care faster more accurately, more conveniently. So yeah, AI has been around for such a long time and it's not just a buzzword. I think you're going to see it become ubiquitous and the words AI will actually disappear from our uh, from our conversation about how healthcare is delivered. Just like right now, we don't say, oh, Sarah, are you going to do e-commerce and buy something uh, on the web? No, we just buy something, and it gets delivered the next day. No one says how. No one says what systems or or computational algorithms were used. It just happens. And I think that's where we're going.
0: You had mentioned that HIMSS 18 is going to be a huge focus on AI. You'll know, walk the showroom floor, and everyone's going to see everything AI from soup to nuts. How does a healthcare professional start to figure out where to really stake a claim, start to educate their executive teams, start to partner with their physicians, and, and bring AI, as we call it today, mainstream and into into their own organizations because it is expensive, it, in some cases not necessarily tested in the smaller environments. Where do you recommend someone starts in our profession?
1: Uh, again, another excellent question, and I think it's actually one of the most important questions um, that you're asking because that's the immediate challenge. You have healthcare executives uh, from hospital systems, from uh, uh, clinic organizations, from health IT companies that support healthcare delivery. I I think the first and most immediate challenge is understanding what artificial intelligence is and and where it has its applications uh, within the healthcare environment. Um, this is very important because um, everyone is confused about, well, I hear machine learning, I hear artificial intelligence, I hear all these words like big data, agent, and and they're being used very interchangeably. And they're all in some ways very related, and they talk about some of the similar things, but there are nuances um, that need to be parsed out, and the understanding of what the tool can do in various settings is very important. And then planning, I think, for those uh, applications of those tools is important. I'll give you an example. Um, A a health system, uh, I think it can be found on the internet if you search it, but I'll I'll keep it nameless. Um, They went ahead uh, and just bought Watson. They said, we're... They, they went with the buzz of AI and they bought it early on and they paid uh, hundreds of millions of dollars for this tool, for their system to go in and, and just tackle their electronic health records and, and, to, and to do whatever they had planned to do. And that's what it was. There was no form or, or strategy or plan around how to use this tool. They just jumped in, they bought it. IBM said, great, we'll figure it out. Um, and uh, what ended up happening is um, there was failures uh, in the implementation of AI, not IBM's fault, uh, but in communicating with the clinicians, the medical groups, the nurses, the doctors, the, the health IT teams to say what the goal of this was. And they ended up uh, canceling the contract and and pushing back and deferring uh, any of the implementation. So I think there's a great danger in uh, executives not knowing what they're getting themselves into. And right now, I will admit, there is a bit of a Wild West of of activity around artificial intelligence. And to go back to your context of HIMSS 2018, I think there was a knee-jerk reaction that I'd like to talk about that happened in HIMSS 2017, which was within a, a few months, everyone added AI to their name, AI to their, to their URL, to their website name, and they put AI uh, on all the marketing pieces without connecting what AI does. It was really just a buzzword, almost. Now, not for all organizations. In fact, some companies have been doing AI quietly for years. They just never used the words AI because that created fear and apprehension. Uh, but I think what you will see in 2018 hymns is a more organized uh, approach to uh, what artificial intelligence tools are being used to do. What, for example, uh, there'll be a number of companies that are that will look at your data uh, from an electronic health record uh, of of the hospital integrated delivery network and say, "Let our AI agent um, tackle that data, figure out patterns, figure out which uh, which patients uh, need to be addressed in a care coordination." Way, I think there's going to be a lot of AI tools at the back office level analyzing uh, cost and price and figure out where the cost savings can come from. These are these are challenges um, uh, in healthcare uh, that AI can tackle easily, efficiently because it's built for addressing the big data that exists with all these EHRs. Um, but you'll also see at Hims novel, innovative approaches of artificial intelligence. For example, I, I know of at least a handful of companies that are uh, going in and putting artificial intelligence in scopes uh, and uh, for, uh, for a- any number of, of procedures and applications and basically the AI is looking at these images as the, as the physician is looking at these images and figuring out which are the, the dangerous polyps or the dangerous cancer cells that they see uh, in these scopes. And I think, uh, obviously, we spoke about radiology and MRIs being uh, augmented with AI. I think you're going to see much more organized display of what these AI tools can do and are doing and what's coming up in the future. So it is really exciting. And I'm actually uh, excited about this year's hymns more than the last few years of hymns because um, AI is going to be so disruptive. And I think um, people don't know exactly how disruptive it will be. Uh, Some will be so afraid to tackle it, they'll they'll take the wait-and-see approach, which, in my view and opinion, is is going to put them at a disadvantage. Uh, These tools are moving fast and furious. I mean, when you can have a pair of teenagers um, use data here, just here in Los Angeles, use um, uh, retinal imaging data to train an AI tool that they programmed in their home because their father was misdiagnosed and delayed diagnosed with um, uh, issues in the eyes and had to and was mis- uh, maltreated. These two kids, these two sons, programmed this tool in a couple of weeks and it was more accurate and could have early diagnosed their father and any patient. So I think if you see this happening now, imagine what's happening everywhere around the world. I've seen the number of startups in AI in healthcare just explode. So um, yeah, it's, it's it's exciting, and I think HIMS 2018 will build will bring some form and function, and hopefully, more importantly, some education, so that these executives and not just the CIOs, but CMOs, CEOs, CFOs, they need to get together, learn, understand, and plan over the next three to five years how to incorporate. Uh, the right AI tool into their uh, business of healthcare delivery and and leverage it not only to uh, address the rising cost of healthcare, but the faster and more accurate delivery of care to their patients.
0: Do you see AI shaping its own future, or do you see it becoming like a mandated disruption like we had with EMRs, Meaningful Use, MacroMips? I mean, the purpose of the EMR was really... Uh, brought to its knees by the need to say, now you have to use it in these different functions. And so we're just now getting to a point where the EMR is following more of the physician's workflow versus the physician having to click boxes to achieve regulatory requirements. How do you see AI playing into that? Does it get its own chance to shape its future, or does it become something that gets usurped by compliance and regulatory requirements?
1: and again, an excellent question. I, I my answer there is short and brief. I think it will get to evolve on its own naturally and, and rapidly. I think the challenge with regulation and compliance will be they're gonna try and slow that down. They're gonna try and figure out how to how to manage it because it's it's really almost like a wildfire out there with these tools being uh experimented in numerous uh, cases, being implemented in numerous cases. So I think um, regulatory and compliance will be around um, addressing the potential dangers of AI. There are still folks that are very concerned about artificial intelligence. And and I, I support that concern in part because I think, like any tool, it can be both uh, advantageous and used properly, but it can also be misused. And so I think at some point, um, compliance and regulation will jump in, but no it won 't be a mandate i think I think what what was a lesson learned from uh, the EHR adoption was that it was necessary. We needed to put this data in an electronic format, your patient data, my patient data um, and I think it really didn 't come to a head until and i 'll take you back to two thousand and five Katrina when it, when Katrina hit Louisiana. You know, I don't know what percentage, but I think the vast majority of facilities, clinics, hospitals—they still were on paper. That paper was gone when Katrina hit and flooded most of uh, the 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 state. I mean, most of uh, New Orleans, uh, where these care locations were, and records were just gone. And a lesson learned. Um, from that was we needed electronic health records. And that was 2005. And I think re- really only by accident did we have this opportunity because of the downturn in the economy in 2007 and 2008, that we had the American Reinvestment Recovery Act and with that, the High Tech Act to fund EHRs. And and so it was an artificial kind of marketplace that was created to, uh, it was subsidized. EHRs were subsidized. But this time around, I think you're going to see competition and the marketplace really drive fast, quick adoption of AI. So I think it will get its own chance to evolve before compliance and regulation get in. And when compliance and regulation get in, they're, they won't be there to mandate AI. They'll be there to try and control it, uh, in part because every uh, industry from the AMA, from every um, um, advocacy industry that's out there supporting and 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 protecting Uh, the various interests of the healthcare industry are going to uh, be very vocal because they will see their uh, constituents' jobs um, affected adversely. So you'll get, you know, the AMA, I'm sure, will push out guidelines saying, well, these decision support agents, they can't replace doctors, so they'll try and control AI. Uh, I think that's what I see coming.
0: So you're a lauded and storied CIO, historically. And then you made a conscious decision to become an entrepreneur and CEO of your own company. Can you tell us how wise healthcare is changing the face of AI and bringing it mainstream and how you really think about workflow design and implementation to bring these two things together?
1: Well, first, um, that's very nice of you to, uh, to mention that I was just very lucky and fortunate to uh, be involved in healthcare as a health information technologist um, uh, during this time. And really, my, my focus has been supporting the safety net, uh, the physicians who work in Medi-Cal, uh, Medi- Medicaid, um, and uh, Medicare, and, of course, the underserved populations of, of South Los Angeles, Los Angeles, now Inland Empire, uh, most of California. That's been where my advocacy has been, so... I've just been very fortunate. Um, But being in those situations, um, what I've learned is that uh, access to care needs to be equal for everybody. It needs to be not for just uh, the employed who have good insurance or the wealthy who have good insurance and can get access to care uh, um, quite conveniently, but it's really about everyone having equal access to care, equal access to high-quality care, which is why I, I was also just um, in an amazing position, humbled, actually, by the opportunity to be in the right place at the right time to launch the brand-new Martin Luther King Hospital with Dr. Elaine Batchelor and with a, a great team of folks. Um, and that's where I took the first step of saying, We have an opportunity to build something brand new. Let's build something state-of-the-art for a population, a community that hasn't had anything state-of-the-art. Let's make it uh, a national example. And that's what Martin Luther King Jr. Community Hospital in South L.A. is. So leaving my alma mater there was uh, really difficult. It's still one of my close families. Uh, I'm still involved as an advisor to my, my good friend and mentor, Dr. Elaine Batchelor there, and many of my colleagues. Uh, but, I, but for me personally, I've been involved in artificial intelligence uh, study, application design. We may not have called it that, but we've been doing that for the past 20-plus years. And the military and many self-insured companies, the Army, U.S. Army, were one of the first customers we had. We actually deployed our tools. So for me, uh, launching Wise Healthcare... Um, was going back to a passion of mine, but with a renewed vision and a sense of purpose that um, knowing uh, the insurance world, having worked at uh, one of the nation's largest uh, uh, public health plans, LA Care Health Plan, and having uh, had the opportunity to create a brand-new hospital organization, not a brand-new physical building, uh, but really a brand-new organization. I was employee number two, in a not in a in a private nonprofit uh, in a community uh, that is just uh, so underserved, it's a professional underserved area and a medically underserved area. And to and to build something amazing, not just high technology, but but high touch, high quality, um, really gave me a sense of purpose in launching Wise Healthcare and saying I want to bring both of my passions of artificial intelligence, these smart tools putting them in the hands of everybody uh, through their cell phone, putting it in the hands of the providers to help them uh, be more accurate, be more efficient, uh, is the goal of Wise Healthcare. And and it isn't just a technology company where we just provide these tools. We're also going in and redesigning workflow, how those tools should be used in a care setting uh, as part of coordinating care. Um, and then, of course, the real Exciting part about so the real exciting part uh, about artificial intelligence about the tool that we're launching that we call SelfMD isn't about uh, giving you and I an agent that can accurately diagnose our condition or ailment or you know a stomach flu or whatever, but it, but it's about getting that access to care. So talking to a live doctor using telehealth, virtual care as I call it, um, those technologies and and companies exist and then and then getting access, appointments to that care in a physical setting as needed. So I think wise healthcare is about, even though I haven't pushed it out there in this language, but I think it's about creating a convenient ecosystem to have access to high quality care quickly, conveniently for everybody, not just uh, those that are here in Beverly Hills to kind of uh, use that stereotype, but for everybody anywhere that has a phone. And the applications are worldwide. If you look at um, uh, countries in Africa that didn't have the money to build out infrastructure to put landlines and high-speed internet cable everywhere, they're using cell towers. Everyone's using their phone to do banking, to pay and buy uh, each other products uh, and do commerce. That phone can be used to provide access to care. And I think that's the goal of WISE Healthcare is to is to bring that uh, experience I've had over these last 15, 20 years and my passions together to uh, to bring access to care in a very fast, convenient way. So I'm excited.
0: And as we wrap today, you've given us some scenarios of what the future could look like, both from the consumer perspective, from the clinician perspective, potentially even from the insurer's perspective does a typical day look like three years from now, using this technology to help us process our daily lives, but also manage our health care better?
1: That's a great question. And I think about that every day, every hour, because for me, uh, for my kids, three years from now, the it's simple. Um, I... Either I have, a, I have a cold or flu. Let's use that example. I don't know how serious it is. And we've had a terrible cold flu season here in California, if not in the U.S. But if I have those beginnings of those symptoms, I talk to my, my self-MD agent or whatever it is called, Wilson. I can talk to Wilson uh, or there's a Watson or whatever. Um, I, I tell my agent you know i'm having these symptoms my agent talks to me like a doctor does asks me questions and then says okay i think it's this and i'm going to connect you with your primary care provider right now on the phone if i can find your primary care for- provider and if not based on your health plan i'll find a doctor that's ready to answer your questions directly and and then talk to the doctor and the doctor saying oh yeah mm, that's that's we want to we want to nip that in the butt, uh, let's go and, and get you an appointment tomorrow, first thing. Or if it's urgent today, uh, to go to the ED or go to the urgent care. So within a few minutes, the goal is, by using my phone in anywhere, I could be anywhere. Uh, I could be even trying to figure out what's wrong with one of my kids if, if, they've, got, if they've been hurt or they're sick. But within minutes... To get the convenient and 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 also the the stress off my shoulders of, okay, I can take care of my kids, I can take care of my grandparents, my parents, and know exactly what to do next instead of, not knowing what to do, not knowing what's wrong, having to wait on a phone to talk to a nurse advice line, which isn't that. Um, Uh, that accurate or that convenient or efficient, Uh, going to the ED, waiting for four hours unnecessarily and realizing there's nothing wrong, or waiting two weeks up to two months, for some people up to six months for an appointment. That's what's wrong. And so in three years or less, it's going to be there on the phone. And everything I just mentioned, using the phone, and talking to an agent to diagnose the condition, and then connecting to a doctor, a live doctor on person or texting that doctor, if that's what's needed, and then creating an appointment. That all exists in different forms and parts throughout the U.S. and various companies are doing different forms. Kaiser now has doctors that will text with you. They're sitting at a cubicle and they will, they will text back and forth with you and they're able to tell you and diagnose you and and, and direct you to either urgent care or set you up with an appointment. All these things exist, but if we can bring it all together in one ecosystem, and if I can be that uh, be a part of that, whether it's my company or any other company, um, however it gets done, I think that's what I would want. If a health plan comes up with that package, I would take my entire family and move it over there, which is why, and I don't mean to plug Kaiser, but I went to Kaiser in 2008 uh, 2009. Because they had gotten on an EHR, and they were offering a app in 2010 that I wanted to use so I could email my doctor. I wanted to email my doctor instead of making an appointment two weeks out and waiting in the, exam- in the waiting room. So I think if I had to summarize it, in three years, you should be able to use your phone or your IoT device to talk to uh, an artificial agent who does the, the, the hard work first, then connects you with a doctor, and then afterwards, an appointment is 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 made or not made, depending on what's required. That's how simple it should be, and that's the future.
0: Saji, so, thank you for taking the time with us today, sharing your thoughts, your ideas, your entrepreneurship, your vision. Uh, it's been an honor and a privilege to have you on our show today, and thank you for being a part of it.
1: No, thank you. I'm just one of many, many voices, and some far more intelligent than me, but. Uh, for me, I'm excited I get to throw my voice into the mix. Thank you.
0: Please join us next month for our next episode featuring Vicki Shillinton, a talent and organizational development executive on how happiness in the workforce creates a formula for attracting and retaining talent in the digital era. Special thanks to Esteban Parano, our audio and mixing engineer, for helping us to produce our podcast series.